This morning, we're going to continue in our fall series. Our fall series is about our vision, gather, grow, give and go, gather, grow, give and go. And we're going to be talking this morning about the trust that tests, uh, about the give portion of our vision. And uh, essentially, uh, what, we're, what the vision is, is to give of your time and treasures. We're going to be talking about finances, financial giving, and things like that this morning. And then next week is going to be kind of c- be a combined message with the second part of that and the go part, which is giving a piece of your heart with every church you attend or every person that you represent Christ to. But this morning, let's go ahead and begin to talk about the give portion. I remember one time I was going over uh, a financial budget with a friend. Uh, I don't do this often. I don't I don't claim to be some great big money-wise guy or money uh, financial guru, but I mean, I have some wisdom. I have some principles, and, and I think the purpose of the meeting was to get biblical principles about, the, about their family's budget, so I was more than happy to be a part of that. And, and so he said, you know, okay, so I'm trying to figure out what should be first, you know, and, and he's like, you know, should I put my, pay off my debts first, put my savings first, no, should I put my taxes first? And he goes, well, wait a minute, first I got to pay you off. And then I got, <laughs> and it was the way he said it, you know, first I got to pay you off, that's give to the church. You know, I was, that was the euphemism for give to the church. And I know he, did, I know he didn't mean it the way it sounded, <laughs> but I never forgot that. Like, gosh, I wonder if that's how people feel. Like, well, first we got to pay Tom off. Uh, so he, he doesn't pray God against us, you know, and then, and then we got to go into our, you know, lifestyle and everything else. And I remember that there was a person, uh, while I was here in California, they really had a, I had a heart to really, truly reach for God. And he had always said that the biggest obstacle for him coming to God was me. Now, not me personally, but it was the fact that I, you know, the, the, the fact that I was a paid pastor. In fact, he had a real problem with anybody getting paid if they had some sort of religious or spiritual job. And the classic line was, well, you know Billy Graham's a millionaire, don't you? Even Billy Graham's a millionaire. Kind of this insinuation that all pastors are in it for the money. They're all kind of conning everybody. They're all scamming everybody. You know, they're, they're all doing this and that. So, of course, my classic line back to that is always and has always been, well, I'm not a millionaire. And, of course, what do they say? Just wait. Just wait. The money bug will hit you too. And so, you know, you know these people. They're suspicious of everybody. They think everybody's out to get a scam or everybody's scamming everybody. Everything in life is always quantified to the nearest dollar, you know. Should we go out to eat? Should we go out on vacation? Yes, I'm not saying you shouldn't check your bank account before you do anything. But everything in life. Even going down to the grocery store, how much gas, you know, is quantified to the nearest dollar. They always talk about how much something costs. Even when they earn enough money to live comfortably, money is still all they think about. That's when you know money has become your God. When it preoccupies your thoughts, feelings, and adoration more than God. Now, first of all, I don't know if Billy Graham was a millionaire. But even if it was, I can tell you this, it wasn't from his preaching. He was a prolific author. He wrote many books. And of course, if, if they brought him in uh, for some other thing, he, he was a you know, paid speaker at times. 
But so I, I can't attest to that. But the fact of the matter is, Billy Graham is a good example of somebody who had money, but did not have the love of money. Money was not his God. Now, look, I'll tell you this right now. If you look hard enough, you'll find pastors who are in it for the money. You do not need to look here because I can promise you with all my heart, I am not here for the money. All right? If I was going to be in this for the money, there would be other things that I could do. You know, so uh, I'm not here for the money. But if you look, they're out there. Reason I say that is because I've met some of them. And, you know, so they exist. I can't necessarily go against the argument that they don't exist. But here's the thing. For most of the people who are saying that, it's really a smokescreen to a far greater problem that's taking place in their life. It's a paper-thin facade for the real struggle. And the struggle is this. It's very hard to trust God with our wallets. Our wallets are like our security blanket. They're our lifeline. They're our little whoobies that we hang on to because we think if God don't come through, at least I have that. Let me hear you say it again. If God don't come through, at least I have my money. Let me tell you this right now. That is such a reasonable mindset that will keep you in a prison of fear. It's a reasonable mindset that will keep you in a prison of fear. No one is more tormented by the enemy than the Christian who cannot trust God with his finances. And no one is more happier and at peace than the Christian who trusts God's enough, trust God enough to give his money away. Let me say it again. No one is more tormented by the enemy than the Christian who cannot trust God with his finances. And no one is more happier and at peace than the Christian who trusts God enough to give his money away. The major teaching on giving and trusting comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be going there. If you want to go there, you can go there beginning of verse 6. But let me give you some of the background. The Christians in and around Jerusalem. Paul, the apostle Paul, is on a missionary journey. But even in the ancient days, especially because of the adequacy of the Roman road system, mail flowed very freely. So while Paul is in uh, to the to the west in Greece and in all in Turkey and all those areas, he gets word. They get word to him that there's a real, you know, there's there's famine. There, there's a real economic depression happening in Judea and particularly in Jerusalem. And it's even worse for the Christians there, because when the ruling Jews found out that you were a Christian, you would often lose your job. You couldn't get a job. And so they were very afraid and they were in fear and they were struggling financially. Some were probably even beginning to starve. So Paul takes it upon himself to begin fundraising uh, so that he can bring some funds back and supply and buy food for these Christians who are now starving and out of work for their faith. The church at Corinth, which is where this book comes from, Corinthians, the church in Corinth, they had done something that, that happens a lot. They had made a big pledge. You know how you fill out a pledge card and say, I will give so much. They had made a, good, made, they had made a big pledge, but for one reason or another, they never made good on their pledge. 
So Paul is now in the midst of writing to, to this Corinthian church on a whole slew of other things. He also wants to bring up this point. And if you read chapters you know, 8 and 9 in context, you'll find out that Paul kind of uses every motivational argument for them to give that that's out there. You know, first, he starts talking about the generosity of the Macedonian churches, right? You know, that, I mean, if you want to, you know, kind of poke somebody maybe to give a little more, say, hey, you know what the Macedonian churches gave? They gave $50,000. They gave $50,000. Well, we're, we're going to match the generosity of the Macedonian churches, right? So Paul brings up the generosity of the Macedonian churches, right, which were in northeastern Greece. And after that, he talks about the sacrifice of Jesus. How do you win that argument, right? Well, Jesus gave everything to you. Can you give a little bit back for his people who are starving? You know, I mean, it's like, come on, you know. All right, Paul, okay, you know. And so he talks about the sacrifice of Jesus. And then he also assures them in his integrity of handling the funds. He reiterates a lot of the great promises of blessing from God for those who take care of the family, who take care of the people. And he also reiterates, we are blessed by God to be a blessing. And that God wants to change our joy beyond what money can simply buy us to the joy of being able to use our money to bless others, especially those who are in need. Not those who are not in need, but those who are in need. So if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11, you'll see this on the screen. Uh, this, is, this is Paul's conclusion. After he's gone through all that, this is, I mean, he literally says, the point is this, you know, this is my main point. Let's read together, beginning in verse six. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Sow a lot, reap a lot. Sow a little, reap a little. Very easy concept here. He says in verse seven, but each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make, I'm going to emphasize this on purpose, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul is emphasis, and that's in the Greek, the allness of God. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. He's talking about money. For sowing and increase the harvest, that is what comes back after we sow, of your righteousness, the harvest. You will be enriched in every way to be generous. The, the NASB translate that you will be enriched in every way to be generous. The way we say it in our day and age, you will be blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. In other words, not only does this system work, but when it's all said and done, you'll give thanks to God for it. All right, I want to tell you first my four non-negotiables for giving that I see from this verse. This is the interpretation I see of what we've just read. And then we'll go ahead and give some application. So first the what and then the why. All right, the four quick things are this. First of all, it's up to you. It's up to you. 
People always ask, how much should I give? That's my answer. It's up to you. I may jokingly say, well, 100000 to me. And, you know, I, mean, I, might, I might make a joke out of it, but it is simply a joke. It is up to you. Only you can give it because God gave it to you. And the test of trust is to you. Nobody gives it for you. I remember when I was little and they'd pass the plate around and my, my dad would give me money to put in the plate. If it was just one bill, I was never tempted. But if it was two bills, I'd be like, one for the church, one for me, one for the church, one for me, you know. And, 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 and I, would, I would feel like I was giving to the church, but I wasn't giving. My dad was giving. He just gave me the money to give, right? That's why it's up to you. Nobody can give for you. You give it. The second thing is this. It should be deliberate. It should be deliberate. He says, Paul says, whatever he has decided in his own heart. I love that Paul didn't say whatever he feels like giving or whatever feels good. Whatever he has made a decision, it's a deliberate decision. It's an act of will, not emotion. When I give, it's, it's not like I, I just sit around, what do I feel like giving? You know, it's an, it's an act of will. It's a decision I've made. I've made a decision to give a 10% portion of my income, and it's a decision I made. It's not, I, I, don't, I don't even allow feelings to come into it anymore. It's just what happens. It's a deliberate act of my will, and it should be yours as well. Number three, it should never, ever, 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 ever be coerced. If you are watching Christian television and they are manipulating and coercing you out of your money, they are in the wrong. And if anybody here ever guilts you into giving them money, save maybe a trip to Starbucks, they are in the wrong, all right? Never, ever, ever should be coerced. Paul says, not, re- not reluctantly or under compulsion. But then number four, it should be cheerful. It should be cheerful. Don't give and then complain. Don't give and then tell people you wish you didn't have to. You've already lost the blessing in your attitude. Does that make sense? Give and be cheerful that that gift is not only blessing someone in the present, but it's going to be blessing you in the future because that's a seed you've sown that God will bring about a harvest. And that's what I want to talk to you about for our next four points. If you have a discussion sheet, these will go very quickly. Go ahead and flip it over, and you'll be able to write in the answers on the other side. Number one, when it comes to money, God uses the seed principle. If you want to understand how God and money interact, then think of it a lot like a farmer interacts with his seed. (coughs) And God begins with a very clear and basic point that all farmers know if you sow a little you'll reap a little if you plant one acre one acre is what you'll get back if you plant two acres two acres is what you'll get back sow a little reap a little sow a lot reap a lot if you talk to a farmer you realize that planting time is a true act of faith right because they put the seed in the ground right one day passes nothing a week passes. Still nothing. Sometimes a month passes. 
and still nothing. All it is is a seed in the ground covered up by a little bit of soil. To the untrained eye, it can seem that all of your planting was for nothing. And sometimes we can have that in our lives. I've had people tell me, man, I've given to God all my life. And I just feel like I've never had a harvest in my own. First of all, sometimes I challenge that. I say, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your life for a minute. I'm able to show them blessings they never even realized they had. It's, it's easy to take for granted a house, a car, money to pay your taxes and insurance, money to go out to Tahoe Joe's on a Friday night. It's easy to, it's easy to not realize. You know, we watch TV and we see these obscenely rich and we're like, oh God, my harvest hasn't come in yet. No, wait, 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 wait. Let's get back down to basics. Our needs are taken care of. And Tahoe Joe's is in our belly. So let's just, you know, kind of pull it back here. But there are some people I'd say, you know what? Your harvest hasn't come yet. But be patient. Keep waiting. Just like that seed in the ground. That harvest is going to come. The farmer may be tempted to think, well, I wasted my money. Or I planted more than I should have. But if you're patient, the harvest eventually comes. Sow a little, reap a lot. Sow a lot, reap a lot. By the way, God put this in the Bible. Okay? Uh, this isn't just some kind of, oh, well, it's a good suggestion. God put this in the Bible. He is bound and obligated to, to have this biblical principle work in your life. It is one of the few principles in the Bible where God said, test me in this. I know there's a little bit of struggle. Test me in this. I'll beat you every time. I'll outgive you every time. You will not die. And the scale was tipped in your favor of what you gave to God. You will die and you will look back and you realize it will be heavily in God's favor of what he gave to you. I understand that right now a teaching like this almost seems impossible in 2021. We have the highest inflation we've had in 30 years. We have the highest jump in consumer price indexes we've had in seven years. Gas has gone up, what? It's a dollar right now. I mean, it was a dollar 25 since last year. Uh, for those of you who fill up once a week, that's, that could be 150 bucks. I get it. I get it. That right now, this is probably the last thing in the world we want to hear. But actually, I would say, when times get tighter and the squeeze gets squeezier, I know that didn't sound right, but just go with me. <laughs> this is the time more than ever to focus on the principles of the seed and the harvest. <coughs> Sometimes we struggle with this teaching because we've seen things on television, uh, you know, prosperi prosperity gospel preachers, or even before we called them prosperity gospel. There have been people on religious television who have been milking and bilking billions, millions, whatever, for, for decades and generations. And, they, and until Jesus comes back, they're always going to be there. And the line goes something like this. Send in your $100 now, and by the end of the year, you'll have $1,000 back, you know, or, or send in your gift of $1,000 and you'll get four ounces of this healing oil that'll bring your miracle. But if you give $10,000, we'll give you two liters, you know, and you will have your miracle. And when you see and hear that kind of stuff, it just turns you off, you know. 
And you know why it turns you off? Because we're allowing some of these TV preachers to rob us from the blessing of right biblical understanding. The fact of the matter is, God may want to bless you way beyond 10 or 100% fold. I may give my 100 and God's got 100,000 left for me back. Not, not 1,000, you know. But the fact of the matter is, that's not up for me to tell you what your blessing is going to be. It's for God to allow that harvest to come in its due time because he operates on the seed principle. But I'll tell you this, don't let the TV preachers rob you of the true biblical blessing God does have. As I sow my seeds into the church and into his kingdom, I know one day a harvest is coming. Maybe tenfold, maybe a thousandfold. Or folks, it may be in something money can't buy. Health. Life. Peace. A life without fear. How much would you pay me if I could deliver to you a life without fear? Some of you would empty your bank accounts. A life without fear. A life with total peace. I can't promise that. But I can tell you this. That is the seed God, wa God wants to sow back into us. Peace and a life without fear. Plant the seeds. Plant the seeds. Number two, God's goal is not always to make you wealthy, but self-sufficient. <laughs> it's not to make you poor either, all right? God's goal may not always be to make you wealthy, but it is to be self-sufficient. I see that in this verse, in the middle of the phrase, where ver of verse eight, where it says, having all that you need. The thought, this is the thought that the enemy likes to attack the most. That God can be trusted to supply our needs. God's goal for your finances is financial self-sufficiency, which includes, by the way, being free from creditors. If you are under the weight of creditors, I'll just tell you this right now, pastor to you, part of God's goal for your finances is to get you free from creditors. So this Christmas, don't go into massive debt because everything costs more. You know, pare back, do what you got to do. But part of God's will being, making us self-sufficient, we can ruin that self-sufficiency when we're under the yoke of creditors. The self-sufficient Christian is the one whose life is not about getting more stuff, but about being in a place to help others. Self-sufficiency has nothing to do with the amount of money you have. It has everything to do with the amount of money you can give. I know people who make 50000 a year. And because of the way their structure and life is, they've got a lot of money to give. I know people who make $100,000 a year. And because of their life structure, they got nothing to give. Who's more at peace? Who's more financially sound? Who's, more fi who's richer? <laughs> right? So self-sufficiency has nothing to do with the amount of money you have but everything to do with the amount of money you can give. Folks, remember, everything we have can be drained from us within a week. There are diseases and things and all these things out there 
that God will heal us from. I'm not saying let's not have faith about this. But, I mean, they can drain things quickly. And so those who trust in money, independent of God, they live in constant fear because we soon begin to realize the world is far bigger than us and can take our money far faster than we can make it. So this goes back to the beginning of the verse. Here's kind of the secret. First of all, God supplies the grace. Then we're made self-sufficient. We share in that abundance, and people praise God for the blessing. Number four is what I live for. Number four is what, when I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I used to love to give something, and I wanted the people to know who gave it. (laughs) You know, Tom Nackey gave this gift. I loved it. My joy came from the thank you, right? Thank you, Tom, for helping me. The older I get, I don't want that at all. It's almost a sick motive. It almost robs me of the blessing. Now, I just want to see my gift go forward, and what happens in exchange is people going, thank you, God. Thank you for meeting that need. Didn't come from Tom or Tanya or our bank account. They saw it as a gift from God. Because the way I look at it, it was never mine to begin with. It was always his. And he's just entrusting me to give it. Amen? Number three, God's promise is a trust that is tested. If you look at verses 10 and 11, uh, this is a biblical promise. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And now again, it may not come like a regular paycheck. may not come for years sometimes. But God is promising that it will come in some way. And he says, uh, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. What's God saying? God gives you the money to give back to him. God is our source. God gives you the money to give back to him. Can you trust God with your pocketbook? Yes, you can. And I will tell you this. No man or woman was ever the loser because they decided to be a giver. No man or woman was ever the loser because they decided to be a giver. And then number four, this most important point of the morning. I will always love you more than your money. If you ever wonder, is Pastor Tom in this for the money? Does he think about our tithes and offerings when he goes to sleep at night? Does he show preference to a family that tithes over maybe a family that doesn't? First of all, I don't even know. I don't even know what you give or who gives what, how you give it, when you give it, and in what form it comes. First year I was here, we got a whole bag of pesos. I didn't even know what the pesos were worth. I was just told we got it in pesos. That was all that was communicated to me. But I will say this. I will always love you more than your money. For me, you are not a dollar sign. I don't look at you as a customer. I don't look at you as something to profit off of. 
I don't do this so that I can be some sort of profit-making religious teacher. I'll be gone in a heartbeat if it ever becomes that. I can assure you it won't. But I'll always love you more than your money. I want you to rest assured that. I don't say this as a badge of honor, but I've gone through seven business councils now. Seven business councils have attempted to give me a raise. I have declined all of them for 11 years so that I could tell you this right now. I will always love you more than your money. And God, for the last 11 years, has provided a harvest to me and our family that is so incredibly miraculous that I stand here today as a man who not only believes what I'm telling you, I've experienced it. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Well, God's nice to you because you're like on his payroll. You know, you're a pastor. You're, you're employed by God. Of course he's going to make it up to you. But I work at Nestle. I work at Chevron. I, work, I mean, he doesn't care about those companies. You're wrong. He cares about all those companies. And he cares about you. No more than me. But I can tell you this. What missionaries know and what takes an act of faith to find out. When you sow that seed, God will provide for the need, make you self-sufficient, and bring in a harvest of righteousness where your joy switches from the stuff all your money can do for you to the good you can do. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, my, one of my greatest fears is that the very act of preaching this message you'll feel manipulated or coerced. I don't want you to feel manipulated and coerced. My goal is that you would feel a greater faith that if you're faithful to plant that seed, God's got this. God's got your back. He's going to take care of you. He's going to make you self-sufficient. That's the goal is to build faith. But please, don't walk out of here today feeling coerced or manipulated, or under compulsion. There's no cheerful giving in that attitude, or feeling that feeling. But I do want to, with all my heart, encourage you. You can trust God with your pocketbook. You can. You can, you can, you can. And when you do, you'll get something that the world can't give you. Peace and a life without fear. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, help me to trust you with my wallet. And I declare right now, by faith, God is my source. Not my job, not my brains, not my body. They are all from God. So God is my source. And by faith, help me to seed into your kingdom as you have seeded into mine. In Jesus' name, amen.